0: I think a struggle I'm seeing is really like the middle stage startups, right? Those that raise several rounds of capital, say, over the past five years, right? I think what I've realized is that I've had to be very thoughtful in understanding where the current business is and helping them discuss what their challenges are. And more importantly, like talking about how high the next bar is, right? Because I think the previous rounds, the bar wasn't that high. And so I think as long as we make some amount progress, the next round will come, right? Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join a movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams in Asia? You know how painful it is. Acevel helps your in-house team by taking tough tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across eight countries in Asia-Pacific, which includes onboarding, procurement, device management, real-time IT support, offboarding, and more. Gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place with our state-of-the-art platform. Check out esevel, dot com, and get a demo today. Use our referral code BRAVE for three months free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, morning, Shian. You flew in at, what, 5.30 a.m. this morning? So That's right. Crazy. And You're what right. your strategy is for the morning is what? Like, Stay awake. My
1: strategy is keep going.
0: <laughs> keep going? That's a bonkers strategy. I'm the kind of person that like, go home, I just take a nap.
1: No, no, no. The, the actual key is on the flight, I don't eat. That's my what? strategy.
0: This is a weird life hack. Okay. G- hit me. Wh- wh- why does it, why
1: does it work? Cause you're trying to like convince your body that you're in the destination time uh, zone. Right. Uh, and so your body gets a lot of cues based on like your blood sugar levels. Like yeah. when you eat. Yeah. And so if you don't eat for the whole time yeah, yeah. and then you land and you eat according to your destination schedule, it's easier to reset. So like yeah. I landed, I took a shower, and I went to gimbal. Wow! <laughs> and I <laughs> ate some <Tai laughs> Oh, Oh
0: incredibly nice.
1: unhealthy, and I have my taping.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, you're a stronger person than I am. I'll be happy to sleep right now, but let's power through. Yeah, um, let's do it. And I think what we were discussing was, hey, right now a lot of folks are asking what is going on in venture capital, right? I mean, obviously, everyone was very bearish. And then after that, things started exploding and imploding. And and then people are just saying, like, it's a tough market. But I think a lot of founders are like, how long, how, where are we getting better? Have we hit the bottom yet? When does it get better? And I think you and I have some thoughts. You've obviously done some travel, talking to capital allocators and other VCs in Silicon Valley. I also have my own point of view. So I'd love to kind of like discuss and just say, where do you think the, venture capital and startup market is today?
1: Yeah, VCs are almost like congenitally optimistic, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't get into the business. And so I think when you talk to VCs, myself included, generally, you're, you're a pretty positive person. But I think, you know, I just got back, as Jeremy mentioned, from, from two weeks in the US talking to a range of both fund managers and allocators. And I would say the mood is pretty tempered. So there's sort of like high level, like, yes, we believe in innovation, we believe in this asset class, but also recognition that, hey, the market was insane over the last two years, and people got a little bit out over their skis, paid too much, and that's all kind of coming to a head. And so while there continues to be a lot of excitement around AI and those use cases, people are also busy dealing with what's going on in their portfolios, and that's like helping people shut down gracefully we talked about aqua hires mm-hmm. and you know i was talking with another manager and he was like yeah we helped a couple of people get acquired i was like what is the market for aqua hires right now it doesn't seem like there is one he's like yeah it's more of a safe face saving move you know they get slightly better packages than if they had just applied for jobs no one made money on that right and i think If you think VCs are optimists, right? Founders even more have to be optimists, right? (laughs) It's sort of, I always kind of say that entrepreneurship by definition is like a little bit insane. Because the expected value outcome of entrepreneurship is probably not higher than some cushy job somewhere. But people do it anyway. And so I think maybe coming into the year, there are a lot of people who are like, I think I can raise. And they're running into a few things is their own existing investors don't necessarily want to bridge them or don't have the appetite to bridge them or their own and they're not sort of reading that signal, right? As like, Hey, I either need to like revise my expectations or change course. And so they kind of continue to go out into market and get sort of lucrative responses and get very long drawn out processes. And so I think that's still taking a bit of time to funnel through. And so Yeah, I think, like, people are still, I think, working through that. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the full impact of that yet, right? We've started to see the recaps. We've started to see people, like, have sort of reality realization moments. But I don't really think it's gone all the way through yet. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's the, that's kind of the mood, right? On the one hand, I think investors are like, this should be a great vintage to invest because valuations are all down. But on the other hand, you have stuff from your prior funds that you are managing and you still need to help all those guys. And there's sort of, I think, a bifurcation between people who sort of, either they were always pretty frugal and so they have planned ahead accordingly or they got the memo early and they cut and adjusted fast. But those who didn't, I think they're facing a much worse fundraising environment. And that's just that's just reality. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's two parts, right? Which is what's the market? And then obviously what founders should do. And let's put the second part a little bit down the road. And let's kind of sort of this feeling about what the market is today. I agree with you that the market is tough. And I think one way that I see it is that a lot of funds and I hear this through the grapevine, I talk to the other folks, is that what is the majority of their time, the partner's time doing, right? Are they talking to new companies or are they working with their current portfolio companies, right? And I think that many funds in Southeast Asia that are very, very focused on their current portfolio, right? Kind of helping them with the operations, layoffs, the next round, et cetera. And so I think it's not what you say that you do, right? It's about what your time and allocation is, right? And I think I agree with you. I think there's a lot of VCs who are very busy working with their portfolio companies. And I think they have also their associates and portfolio support folks also working very deeply with their portfolio as well. And so I think that contributes, I think, to a lot of, like you said, mindshare, which is that, right? And so how much mindshare is there left to look at new companies and new deals? I think that's also driving some of the folks who are leaving venture capital in terms of teammates, et cetera, because they want to do deals, right? But they're focused on their portfolio and management. So I think it's been interesting to see that play out actually
1: although like it's all part of the job right <laughs> like yeah. writing checks isn't the whole job like writing checks is like step zero.
0: Hello? The past two years was this remember all the strategies was this just write checks, let your winners ride, do no work, and keep finding new deals, right? I think that was the like you say the MO, right, for the past two years was that the best founders don't I don't know, it's consistently up. There's no down. There's no sideways.
1: I don't know. I mean, as business is never consistently up, right? The yeah. whole thing is a roller coaster, and like, I feel like most of the time something is like deeply wrong. <laughs> You're just trying to stay afloat.
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah, I mean, I, I I would I think the mood is measured, and I think alongside the sort of startup funding cycle, there's also the the, the fund funding cycle. Right. So I think there's also the feeling that like. A lot of funds got started kind of the last three years. Right. And it's really unclear for those funds, you know, what their trajectory and prognosis is going to be and whether they're going to be able to raise second funds. Yeah. Just given kind of what that environment was at that time. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's this crazy stat, right? Which is if you take the top, I think, 10 or 15 large cap technology stocks in the U.S. Right. And that is like more than the combined capitalization of the London Stock Exchange and the Tokyo Exchange.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. And so basically people pay more if you're listed in the US, um, but also that you could actually get a lot of the returns you wanted in technology just by holding the top 15 publicly traded tech stocks, right? Which then you're like, okay, like what does that mean for the private markets? And then the other thing is that like, if you look at, Publicly traded companies with market caps of over 10 billion. Right. That's only 10% of the total capitalization of the market.
2: Right.
1: So there's like, that's 90% that's under 10 billion. And so, like, which is most of private markets, right? So do you believe that that long tail outperforms on a multi year horizon relative to the risk reward ratio of holdings for the top 15 publics? Right. Um, So, anyway, that's like the. The bear, bear case, I guess. Yeah, but having said that, I think most people's allocation to privates is still very, very low. Right. Right. And so they do all have room to like increase on the private side. Right. But it's just where, when are they going to do that? Did they already get burned, and have they started on the asset class altogether? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, obviously, you know, the VCs are writing the decks, right? It's like, hey, valuations they return back to normal. Great companies are founded in good times and bad. We have a proprietary uh, access due flow and approach that lets us pick the winners, and we're super confident our fund one, you know, returns are going to crush it. Just look at the paper valuations today. Can, can you please let us run raise fund two? No, yeah. not good, Not a good enough deck yeah, yeah, these yeah, yeah. days.
1: TVPI yeah. and DPI, very different things.
0: I know, right? I mean, do you know how many a...
1: venture funds there are?
0: No, don't hit me here.
1: Like four thousand.
0: Four thousand? Yeah. Really? It's a lot. Oh, I was gonna say that's very small. Like four thousand. But for
1: 000. a very niche asset class, that's like yeah. a, that's like a crazy number. I think when I was in when I was working in on Sand Hill like fifteen years ago, I think there were yeah. probably like a thousand plus yeah, in yeah. the MVCA directory. Yeah. So there has been like a huge explosion. I was at another event last week called Capital Camp and it was a much broader sort of investment management type of conference. And like, VC's just but one segment of that, right? There's a lot of people like yes. sm- small middle market, private equity, real estate, all this sort of stuff that are much more established, much larger right. asset classes.
0: Yeah. I think 4,000 is, okay, now I to sit with it. Yeah, I think there's also a bit of a power law, right? In the sense that there is a lot of small, medium, and then the large ones obviously have very large fund sizes. So I think there's a dynamic where it's not just the number, right, but also I think I haven't seen the numbers for myself, right, but what are the top 10% what the number of employees or AUM or could be a very disproportionate size as well. Interesting times. Yeah. So does that mean we're at the bottom? Yeah, is the worst already over? Will things get better? That's what people want I don't to know, know, though. Right?
1: I mean, I'm kind of worried about this debt ceiling thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like... You know, the headline
1: was, like, they've extended from June 1st to June 5th. And you're like, okay, that's not much better. It's already <laughs> May 27th.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, you go to a record, you're like, we're totally fine, we're caught at the bottom, and then the U.S. is defaults on the debt, the entire global financial the system implodes. Although the market is yeah.
1: up. Did you yeah. see? The market is up because they think they're going to have to do something. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. like, I don't know.
0: It's like when people shit on Jim Cramer, right? And then Jim Cramer says, like, I don't expect America to default. And everyone's like, oh, we got a better other side of this. Yeah, it's, it's the The, the, opposite. Opposite.
1: the inverse Cramer index it, or whatever yeah, exactly, it is, right?
0: Exactly, right. <laughs>
1: so. <laughs> yeah, so, so I don't know. I mean, I think, like, there's two countervailing forces, right? I think there's, like, the excesses of the last two years need to, like, work themselves out of the system. Right. As you said, A lot of VCs are occupied with their current portfolio and like trying to fix and save stuff. And then on the other hand, you've got this amazing AI wave and excitement and new applications and people jumping in. So that's kind of like something to get excited about. Yeah. The macro stuff. (laughs) Inflation was accelerating in April, which then makes me worried about the June rate meeting. So let's talk about the
0: macros, right? So at least what are the... Because obviously we're not going to predict we're not macroeconomists in that sense but what are the key things or factors that require that would help the situation right so one is obviously inflation dropping which to some extent is linked to the perception that this will lower interest rates and when you lower interest rates it increases the future time value of money versus well not increases but at least it doesn't drop as much right and so
1: it improves the afford- DCF calculations.
0: Exactly. It improves our vision No, But of also credit,
1: right? Yeah, it exactly. just makes credit cheaper, which allows people to invest more, right?
0: Yeah, like debt and capital expenditures. Yeah. Uh, that's big piece. I'm going to say U.S. elections, I would say, is a big one as well to some extent. Because I think there are different visions for the economic future, right? Between the three of them. And I think they obviously impact different categories, different verticals different regulation targets, right, for example. So, for example, the FTC right now is doing a lot of work to stop acquisitions, right, of many companies. And that lowers the exit potential, right, for so many companies that were going for a trade sale, $100 million sale, even a billion-dollar sale.
1: Yeah, but I don't think FTC is going to stop the $100 million sale, right? Yeah. Those are, like, much harder to make the sort of monopoly arguments.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think think the tricky part is that there were certain buyers that are very cash-rich, right? So you obviously, you know, your Fang, so and so forth, right? Your Google, your Alphabet, who historically just did a lot of those acquisitions, right? And were happy to pay for the talent and the know-how and approach, right? And now because of the regulatory side, I think they slowed down their thing because they don't want to trigger more of that, right? So I think you're right to say it's not as if they're blocking, but I think there's also a self deceleration, right? Of those deal flows as well.
1: It's an interesting question. I would have to ask. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Caterpillar is doing very, very happy right now because they never could get technology talent for their tractors and farm equipment because it wasn't hard. <laughs> but it turns out with the current like AIs and everything, they're kind of like moving towards there. But yeah, so what are the other macro stuff? We don't go to war globally. I That'd mean, be nice. Yeah, uh, there's the
1: China US conflict and whether we can like reduce the temperature there.
0: Yeah. So this big one sentiment wise, because it's not even a Black Swan event, right? It's this unknown scenario that people are planning for slash planning around. Um, what else is there? Anything else? I think those are major ones, right? I think those are major thresholds, like in a world where interest rates are dropping, inflation is dropping, U S China relations improve, right? Yeah, Then I think that would be the macro bottom. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. things can things can swing back up.
0: Yeah, things can swing back up, but, I but think right that...
1: now I think we're just all predicting that things will get a little bit worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're not at a bottom yet, but you're like nearing the bottom. Like, it can't get much worse. <laughs>
1: I mean, it doesn't change what people need to do, right?
0: Yeah. Ooh, Which is what like... do people need to do?
1: Find customers, make money. <laughs> I thought it was fundraise and make a deck. I mean, I think we talked a little about this before, right? Which is like, so if you want a venture scale return, can you imagine this thing being at a hundred million of revenue? Yeah. Within kind of like five years. Right. And what do you have to believe for that to be true? Yeah. And so like for founders, I don't think it really changes the equation much, right? Yes. Well, it changes the equation in terms of like how easy you think it is to fundraise, but yeah. In terms of what you 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 need to validate in your business, the changes you have to validate faster than you thought, probably. But I assume that you'd want to validate those things anyway, right? Because yeah. you're spending your time on it. But I made a joke to one of my friends when I was in town. and I said, if I ever own a horse or a boat, I'm going to name it Operating Leverage. Because I really think this is a very important idea.
0: I mean, I got to hear this. <laughs> Like, a horse or boat. I mean, keep going. I, 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 I
1: mean, it's also a bit ridiculous, right? Because yeah. a horse or a boat is like the opposite of operating leverage, right? But just, <laughs> you would just spend money maintaining it. Um, yeah. Okay. Wait. You gotta keep
0: that's, going. That's the explained. joke.
1: But 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 I think in terms of like things that I think are like. Oh, really,
0: the joke. Okay. So the joke about a horse or a boat is that is 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 a depreciating asset that. Yeah. I mean, you have no oper- It does
1: not. It does not give you operating leverage in your life, right? Having a boat or a horse. Okay, I uh, thought the
0: joke was going to be that a uh, boat lets you move more stuff over water or horses. No, uh, no. That's, uh, more operating no, leverage. No,
1: no. It, it is, it's a joke that it does not. <laughs> it is the opposite. But as an idea that like I really think more people should think about is operating leverage, which is like, what is my theory of how my business gets better yeah. over time? Yeah. Right? Like It can't only be a thing that you put $1 in and only $0.80 cents coming out, right? Like, yeah. over time, it has to be, okay, $1 in, $1.20 comes out, $1.50 comes out. So, like, where's the operating leverage in my business? And what's my theory of it? And when do I see it? When should I see it? Right. Right? Because in the beginning, people, everyone's like, oh, like, I don't know what CAC is. I don't know what LTV is. Like, it's too early. I can't tell. Fine. Yeah. But, like, you should want to know. Right. At some point, the math has to work. Math and so... Like I, I, think that's why. Yeah, I'm never gonna own a horse or a boat, but <laughs> if I ever did, if I won one at a fun fair, like when you win a goldfish, like that's what I would name it.
0: So, I think the question now is what, what founders should do, right? Because in yes, they got, got to sell customers. Got validate, validate,
1: validate, validate.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me. I'll, I'll I'll add to that. Right. Which is I think. when there's a lot of capital availability, there's a lot of time and therefore money that can be spent for your experiments, right? But I think when you have a capital staff environment to some extent, then you have to validate, validate, validate on a much tighter, much faster cycle, right? And I think you talked about it in a previous episode about the rate of learning. And so I think what happens is that I think people got used to a certain like, okay, you know, we're going to spend $100,000 on this channel to figure out if it works. And you can't. Like, you should be like, I think if I spend $1,000, what does it tell me? Let me change it. Let me spend next $1,000 and I can't go from there, right? So the efficiency of that learning is really, really key.
1: Yeah, and sometimes, like, I can't tell whether people are slow because they don't know how to be faster or they think they're going fast. You know what I mean? Like, Both. it's like, is it yeah. Yeah. you just don't know what fast looks like or you've picked, like, the absolute slowest way to try to test something? Different
0: folks, right? I mean, I think there are folks who just, like you said, they come from a certain background, right? Maybe slower, right? Consulting or kind of like those big companies that tend to have a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say infinite budget, but- It is time
1: and money. Yeah, yeah. But in a startup's lifetime is money.
0: Exactly. Right? You're going to die. Exactly. And so uh, I think people just end up being way too optimistic about, and they're like, and I think especially for folks who do a successful first fundraise, they really expect the second fundraise to go well or just as easily as it did. And so they have this, like you said, maladjustment, right? And they're like, yeah, the money will come as long as we show these learnings. And I did all this work and all this stuff, that stuff happened, but yeah, I fixed it. And that may still not be good enough, right? Yeah, I mean, Um, to fundraise the next round, right? And so I think that's the awkward reality. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think. There are just so many tools now that make it pretty easy for people to validate quickly and cheaply. And I feel like I don't actually see them used enough, right? You can throw up a landing page, you can use Zapier, you can use Airtable, you can track with UTM codes. Like it doesn't have to be a huge thing to test ideas. Right. And so I think having kind of orientation around that is important just to Mm -hmm. be like, okay, I think it's working. I think the clue is just like if you have to work really hard to sell everything, then you don't have product market fit, right? You haven't yet defined the problem or the solution in a way yet that has people being like, give me this. Here's my credit card. I'm ready to buy.
0: Yeah. I think at early stage, I think folks have really absorbed that because they grew up in this downturn, right, effectively. So I think they're more cash efficient. I think a struggle I'm seeing is really like the middle stage startups, right? those that raised several rounds of capital, say, over the past five years, right? And now they have this new structure. And I think we'll talk about it, right, in terms of layoffs, the operating structure, but it's almost like a, I don't know what, it's just, I think what I've realized is that I've had to be very thoughtful in understanding where the current business is and helping them discuss what their challenges are, and more importantly, you know, like talking about how high the next bar is, right? Because I think the previous rounds, the bar wasn't that high. And so I think as long as we make some amount of progress, the next round will come, right? But you can't yeah. get, get lulled into that. It's not complacency, right? But it's an expectation that as long as I hit these milestones, as long as I double my revenue across two years, for example, I could raise my next round. And is that a very fast rate of growth? Not tremendously in today's market versus the bar of what people want it to be, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is just, you need to have a backup plan. Yeah. Right. And so the backup plan is just like, okay, let's say I can't raise or the raise that I thought is going to take six months is actually going to take nine months or more. Right. Because I think that's the reality. Everything is just going to take longer and you kind of don't want to be left with three months of runway and not have a term sheet on the table and then be scrambling, right? Because then you just put yourself in a way worse situation. Let's
0: talk about that, right? I actually know, know a bunch of companies that are fundraising with about three months of runway, right, for whatever sets of reasons. So, what advice would you give to someone who's kind of like in that situation, right? You know, but say t- below six months of runway. So, you
1: know. I, I would really just like try to do a zero based budget, right, and understand what is essential or not. Right. And I think the struggle is always like, well, if I don't spend money on marketing, then I don't show growth, and then no one will wanna fund me right. but if I do spend the money on marketing then I have less cash and then you know what I mean like cash that's 22. like the, there you go. it's kind of like damned if you do damned if you don't yeah but I, I think this kind of goes back to the like what is your theory of the business right like if you didn't spend any money on marketing would growth really go to zero like do you have no recurring element in your business like what have you been doing basically for the last two years yeah in terms of like what about your business is ultimately real and sustainable. Right. That someone would actually want to buy and value. Right. Right. I think that's the question, right? Yeah. And it can't just be that you're good at spending marketing dollars. Yeah. So I think that's the I think that's the sort of thing is just sort of like you really need to come up with a plan B budget and plan that accounts for a really slow fundraising market. And be real about expenses yeah. because you know how it goes, right? It's like everybody always wants to save someone on their team. If you sort of like went round robin and asked people who they cut, they're going to try to do the minimal amount of things. So you yeah. actually have to go like initiative by initiative and be like, does this actually move the ball forward for us in the timeframe that we need it to? And how much does survival matter to you? Or you know, are you tired and you're kind of like, okay, let's just throw the towel in. It's other people's money anyway.
0: Yeah. I think the tricky part, and I've seen this for multiple founders now, is that they're fundraising with less than six months of runway. So they have a plan, right? They have a projection, right? They have a forecast. There's a certain rate of growth they're trying to execute against. And they've also heard the stories about how people squeak in that fundraise with like one month of payroll, right? Those near death experiences, right? And so I think there's this tension, right? Between this is, but they keep talking to investors, keep investors, keep working the process, right? Some are fast, which is professional. And some people are slow and jack things out, right? And then you end up in that kind of like, I don't know, stall zone, right? Like you're not really flying, kinda of like dropping out of the sky a little bit. Because you can't cut, because if you cut, it seems to risk the fundraising progress or traction that you have right now. But if you don't cut, you're gonna hit a wall in three months time, right? The brick wall.
1: You have so, to you have to draw yeah. a line, right? There has to be a date where you have to make yeah. the decision. Right. And you Talk have to be honest. Nine. You have to be honest about what what the fundraising progress is. Having a first conversation is not progress. Right. Right. Are people doing work? Are they in the data room? Yeah. Are they spending time? Right. Cuz if they're not, then I think it's not it's not going to lead to a quick term sheet.
0: Yeah. I think people also underappreciate that right which is that i think funds take time to write a term sheet and funds take time to wire the money after due diligence right so if you have three months of runway and a fund takes three months to issue a term sheet and wire the money after due diligence that's not you're enough cutting time, it really right? close well you're cutting it really close so there's not enough time right and i think vcs often say like don't catch a falling knife right um Yeah.
1: I mean, I think there's practical stuff too, right? Right. Which is like, try to defer your payments as much as possible. Right. Right. Take advantage of all the sort of (laughs) payable terms that you can. Right. And try to collect faster. Right. I think when things are going really well, people sometimes are not that disciplined on collections. Right. And so there's some bookings number, but the cash collected number is like really far behind. Yeah. And so, you know, you should kind of really sit on top of your cash cycle.
0: Yeah, cash is an important one. Zero-based budget, mm-hmm. I agree.
1: But I think you said something earlier, right? Which is like,
0: but if I cut marketing, I'm going to cut growth, right? And obviously, if marketing doesn't drive growth, we'll cut it, right? But but at some level, cutting that stuff is going to lower your growth rate, right? So the bullet that the founder is like struggling is...
1: Okay, so I mean, I gonna... but so that's, but that's the question, yeah. right? Which is right. like, okay, so you spend and you hit the wall and you don't raise money. Right. So that's scenario A. You cut, growth slows, and you don't raise money. That's scenario B. Right. So, wh- which one leaves you in a better place?
0: Right. I mean, I, I, I agree with you entirely. I think it's quite asymmetric, right? Which is that, I think, from a founder perspective, one is, and the end of it, you have no business, and the end of it, you still have a business as a going concern, right? So, to me, I agree with you that there's that, but it doesn't. But I think I think my frustration is that I think from an investor perspective, especially for a lot of current investors is that, I don't know. It feels like there's a lot of advice to like, keep going, keep fundraising, right? Keep, you you get it, right? I don't know,
1: yeah. Like you said, right? It's really hard because, so how do you decide which line of action you're gonna take? And if we kind of played out the scenarios, right? Scenario one, you just keep spending on marketing but you don't raise. You're unable okay. to raise. Okay, that's scenario one. You hit the wall. Scenario two, you cut marketing, growth falls off a cliff, and you can't raise. And then, of course, the golden scenario, which everybody wants, right? Which is like, hey, you just keep setting on marketing and you can raise. Or you cut marketing and you can raise. And, and so I think, for me, it also hinges on what the founders, where the founder's head is at.
2: Right,
1: right. which is like, is it that if they cannot raise, they'll throw in the towel?
2: Yeah.
1: Then, hey, scenario A, guns blazing, spend to the end. Right. Or is it like, actually, there's some asset you've built here. Right. And you're willing to cut marketing spend because you need to preserve the asset. You want to be in a default, alive state, even if you cannot raise. Right. And actually, that's my preferred scenario. Right. Which is like, we have a clear understanding of what our asset is. Right. So let's say our asset is today something that if we spend $0 on marketing, it'll grow organically at 10%, right? Yeah. But what we've been doing is spending on marketing to try to like yeah. push that number while telling a story of some sort of increased LTV over time because that's we're right. going like to put more stuff into that. I would rather cut all of that future spend, Right. that spend that's going to pay off in the future, and be like okay this thing grows at 10% i'm at positive contribution margin and i'm going to be default right. alive and either you believe in the asset i built or not but i can go back to market in 6 months right right that's kind of my sort of old fashioned view right but i think the concerns are real right because what's going to happen okay so you cut people right in that scenario right then morale is going to be in the toilet Maybe even some of the founders are like, oh, we've been at this for a while. Like, yeah. now we have to cut founder's salary. Like, yeah. it's not like fast growing anymore. Like, is this still sexy? Whatever. Yeah. So like, those are real concerns. But but I do think it kind of boils down to like, what's the founder in the game for? Right. And a lot of stuff just is kind of shitty right now.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. I think the cost of action to me is quite asymmetric, right? In terms of risk and reward, right? Which is one is you have a company and the other one is you don't have a company, right? And so I think the one that gives you a company lets you kind of like live to fight another day, right? Especially in the environment and all these other reasons. I think what I'm frustrated about is I think a lot of founders are getting suckered by, I don't know what's the word, you know, like investors are very nice and kind of keep the conversation going. But also to some extent, actually, maybe like I've noticed startups who have had, Boards that are not doing that conversation that users had, right? Which is, we got to be face up to this and manage it super tightly and get it under control, right? And so, as a follow on investor to somebody else, is it really my spot to say, like, yo, like, what is your board?
1: I don't think you need audience. to involve yeah. the board, right? I think you just no, like, I mean, have I a direct I conversation. I'm not, I'm not tagli- yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like you don't even have to reference the board. Yeah. Right? I, I think whatever your relationship was, with the founder's like, hey, look, like I'm not at the board. I don't know what's going on there. Right. But here are my thoughts. Right. But at the end of the day, like I said, it, it all boils down to the founder. Right. And
2: the founder's been, a boss.
1: The founder's the boss, and 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 if you've been operating here in the last four years, you've gone through the global pandemic, right? You know that crazy boom, and then now you're this like the t- <laughs> the, the flip yeah. side of that, right? And I don't blame people if they're tired. It's very tiring. Yeah,
0: it's super tiring. I think I like what you said, right? At the end of the day, you know, whatever the bot is, whatever it is, I think the founder is the boss at the end of the day, right? And the founder has made a decision, like you said, to see reality as it is, and to know what to make the hard decision, right? About you know, like you say, option A, option B. There's a mathematics, right? The math has to work eventually, right? The gravity will kick in, and you got to make a decision. Is I think it's okay to keep the options open and to keep that there, but like you said, there is a date where the decision has to be made, and you got to make the decision.
1: Yeah, because if you don't make a decision, that is making a decision, right?
0: Ah, uh, boo! boo. <laughs> I don't want to make. It, I don't want to make a decision, but like. I don't if I don't make a decision, then no decision is made,
1: right? Yeah, no, you're just gonna you're running as hard as you can towards that, that wall and you're trying to yeah. figure out if Yeah. You're hoping that somebody's gonna come and save you, but that's yeah. something you, you actually don't have control over.
0: Yeah, that's the tough part, right? At the end of the day. So
1: man. So how? Well, we need to end off the episode on a more positive note, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> it cannot all be doom and gloom. Okay, fine, let's let let's work on it. Okay uh,
0: <laughs> Well, it's like the doom and gloom episode. I would say that one thing that founders can do is hmm. Okay, I'll say this. I would say that if you have to shut down your company, your life is not over. That's what I would say, right? The, you are not a company. And the company is not you, even though a lot of is dependent on your decisions and your team. But a shutdown of a company does not mean that your life is over, right? So, in fact, Silicon Valley is full of those stories, right? Uh, so, on that note, I think if you are a founder and you are departing a team because of disagreement or because you want to search for something new, your company is winding down, or you managed to sell the company, uh, we do have a community called the Phoenix uh, Community under Brave. It is a small group of about two dozen founders who are currently transitioning to the next stage. And what we do is that every six months, we have a kind of like a virtual offsite where we do journaling, we talk to staff, and we also hear from a panel of other founders who have kind of like already successfully transitioned to the next chapter in their lives. The next one is in June, but we have another one in November, December. So check out www.bravesea.com to sign up for details. And it's a good group of folks and we have a WhatsApp group and we just kind of like, Help each other there because at the end of the day like like look if you build a company you're crazy you're brave you're entrepreneurial you care about the future you're taking initiative and now you've eaten shit and you're building something for the future again right i think there's only success in the future for you the question is how do we get there in a way that's thoughtful humane preserves your honor and preserves your reputation for the community but also does the right thing at the end of the day right and i think that landing can be hard to stick so i think that's how i think about it
1: that's awesome i think founder communities are super important to the ecosystem and so it's great that you're doing this and these are the people who hike as well every sunday jeremy oh
0: yeah we have another group that's called like current active founders who kind of like hike every month just get some nature and just chit chat get some steps in and those are two very different communities you can imagine. And I think actually I've noticed that some folks who are in the hype community who are now slowly transitioned to the Phoenix community, right? I look at it as like complementary in that sense because yeah. there's this different stages in life, right? I've been a founder, then I stopped being a founder and then I, was, I had no idea what to do with my life as a student. And then I was a founder again and now I'm a VC, right? So I think these identities are transitional, right? And temporal.
1: Yeah. Well I don't think I think you also Yeah Chien. I'm gonna pitch you I'm gonna pitch you a, a in-person event. Yeah. Uh so we are hosting Camp Hustle Asia in yeah. Bali the week after F1 in Singapore. So that's September eighteenth and nineteenth. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. It's an investor focused event. We've got a group of pretty interesting speakers, but really the focus of the event is not so much like sitting and listening to people, but really interacting with everyone who attends. We just had it last week in the Bay Area for the U.S.-based folks, and it was awesome. It was super chill. It was outdoors. People had great conversations. We had fund managers fly in from Latin America, Europe, all across the U.S., and so it was just a really kind of a no-BS, really chill hangout, and we want to replicate that in Bali. We've got a handful of confirmed speakers. I think people will enjoy. Moses from Zendit, Arthur Chua from Goldbell, yeah. So he's like a second-gen CEO who took over his family business, but has also yeah. launched his own technology startups, as well as a mobility-focused venture fund. Yeah. We have Ethereals GP Min, which is a mm-hmm. Singaporean GP. It's the fund with Joe Lubin, who's one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Uh, we've got Gabby, who's the founder of YGG, mm-hmm. and a couple more kind of up our sleeves. Um, and so I think it's going to be a really good crew. Yeah, um, and so you and I will
0: be there as well. We're going to
1: be there. We're yeah. going to be grabbing people, recording snippets. Yeah, Jeremy's going to be running around with his headset and his like microphone.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I think I, I think entrepreneurship investing it can be a lonely journey, and so I yeah. think building community with people is a really important part of that, and it's part of the fun. Yeah, and so we are doing sort of early bird discount codes. So if you want, Sheehan's friends is the discount code. Sped it out. Yeah. S-H-I-Y-A-N-S Sheehan's Friends f r i n e, f r i e n d s. Oh my god, I can't spell. We'll put it in the show notes, okay? Yeah. Uh, but go. it's only valid until June 1st. So yeah. I think this will be published like what? May 29th? So you have like yeah. two and a half days or something to use this.
0: So <laughs> yeah, would... If this, if you were listening to this on your overcast queue and what i weekend. Sorry, you missed it. <laughs>
1: But I think it's going to be a good time. And then a lot of people, I think, are going to hang out afterwards. So I know there's a bunch of Angel Squad members who are planning a dive trip in Bali after the conference. And so I think it's just going to be really chill and relaxed after the madness of, you know, Milken F1 token 2049 the week before.
0: Uh, On that note, uh, let's call it a show. Boom. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.braves.ea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.